Okay, so this is our Lectio Divina portion. If you have still have time to go get your elements for communion for after, if you don't have them right now. Uh, let's just pray at the start of this time together. Jesus, you are the word and you are the one who speaks to us. So guide us as we head into these words that were written by David a long time ago in a different place from us. Show us where you are and where you want to speak to us through it. Amen. Let's just pause to be still and just to breathe slowly and to recenter all of the senses that are scattered all around the place and recenter everything on you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, now, the Bible is often a lot more honest about the awkward kind of feelings than we are. And Psalm 4 is one of those things. Um, the Psalms are a really good place to identify our own complicated emotions and to kind of help us process through them to a certain extent. God is not threatened by our questions. I think I've said that about 300 million times. Um, but God is not threatened by our questions, our groaning or our frustration, our anger, our sadness or any of that stuff. Um, I think God would actually just like to hear about it. So I'm just going to read the psalm for today, Psalm 4. Um, I'm going to read it from the NIRV version. Um, and gosh, just going to share this on the screen for us. Uh, and as I'm reading it the first time, I'd like you just to think about which of um, David's expressions or emotions do you most identify with from the psalm. Okay, so we'll read Psalm 4. And the, uh, the heading of it says, for the director of music, a psalm of David to be played on stringed instruments. So I should have had my, I should have my upright bass, my bass here to play along as I was reading. Maybe next time. My faithful God, answer me when I call out to you. Give me rest from my trouble. Have mercy on me. Hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love what will certainly fail you? How long will you pray to statues of gods? Remember that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears me when I call out to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are in bed, look down, look deep down inside yourself and be silent. Offer to the Lord the sacrifices that godly people offer. Trust in him. Lord, many are asking. Who will make us successful? Lord, may you do good things for us. Fill my heart with joy when the people have lots of grain and fresh wine. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. Lord, you alone keep me safe. So which one of David's emotions or expressions do you identify with from that psalm? I hear David's weariness in, in verse one. I hear his frustration in verse two. I hear his kind of self-assuredness in verse three. And then eventually he manages to turn it around. So 
Would you spend a minute and uh, talk to God about the situation or your situation that that feeling is attached to? Don't try and talk yourself out of it, but just acknowledge that you have whatever feeling that it is. And I'm going to read it again. And this time, just see if that feeling, having just spent a minute thinking about it, acknowledging it, recognizing that it's there, um, just uh, see if that is still the same case when you come back to it again, or if maybe it's shifted. Because sometimes just identifying with it and acknowledging it can help us to kind of shift how it feels, which is weird, but sometimes how it goes. So let me read it again. My faithful God, answer me when I call to you. Give me rest from my trouble. Have mercy on me. Hear my prayer. How long will you, your, you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love what will certainly fail you? How long will you pray to statues of gods? Remember that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears me when I call out to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are in bed, look deep down inside yourself and be silent. Offer to the Lord the sacrifices that godly people offer. Trust in him. Lord, many are asking, who will make us successful? Lord, may you do good things for us. Fill my heart with joy when the people have lots of grain and fresh wine. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. You, Lord, you alone keep me safe. Sometimes the psalms resolve and come around and it seems that the psalmist has kind of reached his nonetheless kind of moment towards the end. Psalm 4 has surrender in that last verse. In peace I will lie down and sleep because you alone keep me safe. So let's just pray like David. End lecture. In peace we leave this moment of contemplation and move into the rest of our gathering and our day and we trust that you alone will keep us safe. Um, and over to Eden, we'll lead us in communion. Good morning. I want to uh, segue from our Lectio practice into um, our communion focus this morning with a focus on mercy. Um, going through that passage we just went through, I'm uh, always and daily aware of my need for mercy. And so I'm going to segue using that this morning. Um, the invitation to come to the table is about recognizing our need for mercy and our need for forgiveness, and then accepting the lavish offer Christ gives us on the cross. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 welcomes us to the table 
but then also warns us not to eat in an unworthy manner. We don't often speak to this, or we might have had some misguided teaching. So I want to address this today. Um, there are three ways um, that we can partake and come to the table in an unworthy manner. The first way is if we believe that we actually don't need what is offered at the table, namely mercy and forgiveness. If you don't believe you need it, then coming to the table uh, is really an offense. Um, the second way is if we replace Jesus's menu with our own. Jesus has set the menu for this meal. And when we try to change the menu, we are partaking of it in an unworthy manner. Mercy and forgiveness is what's on the menu. And that, and there is enough for all of us. We are called to remember him because we need to constantly and consistently appreciate and acknowledge our need of the meal Christ serves. The table is the place, the cup and the bread are the way, and together they are an activation we participate in that engages us with the richness of Christ's work on the cross. The third way we participate unworthily is if we fail to discern the body. What that is referring to specifically is our not recognizing or discerning all who are part of the body and reflecting that by excluding others. When we go ahead and eat without regard for those who are hungry, when we don't wait for each other or include everyone, we are partaking in an unworthy manner. We quite possibly were taught, those of us who grew up in the church, that when we took communion, we were meant to eat and drink all of it. But at the Last Supper, Jesus said, all of you eat this, all of you drink this in remembrance of me. Everyone is welcome. But the only things being served are Christ's mercy and forgiveness. The table is full. Your portion of mercy and forgiveness will not diminish that of another. And the table is expansive as far as the east is from the west, come to the table, recognize your need, partake of Christ's feast of mercy and grace, and draw in all to this magnificent table. Let's pray. Jesus, we take this bread and wine and embrace the mercy and forgiveness you have given us. Amen.
I'm just going to um, lead into Karina speaking this morning. Um, and I just want to lead into her message with a, a just a quick note and prayer. Here at the bridge, we have one target group, and that is God. If God shows up, we're going to be okay. But God as Father and Spirit, and certainly Jesus, said some things that are difficult to follow. I mean, even his disciples often said, that's hard to understand, Jesus. Can you explain? As we endeavor to follow Christ, we are going to find some things he said and the trajectory of those teachings to be stretching. We want to be brave as we follow Jesus. We want to follow his lead forward in being a more inclusive community. We would encourage you to listen with your hearts wide open and your ears too. So let me just pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you rest on Karina this morning as she shares with us. We want to hear what you have to say through her, even the hard stuff. Help us to be brave. Amen. All right. Good morning, everybody. It is great to be here with you. Um, I'm just going to pull up my text here. So I'm hoping that everything is good and you can see me because I can't see you anymore. <laughs> but um, before I get started today, uh, I just want to take a moment to do a little group education so that nobody gets left behind in language that might be new to some. Um, it's, it's a bit of a reminder to some information that Morgan shared when she preached a few weeks ago. So here we go. I'm going to give you a little bit of an alphabet soup here. LGBTQIA+. That's an acronym that stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, intersex, asexual, and the plus symbol reminds us that this list of sexual orientations is not a complete or fixed list, but one that grows and changes as our understanding and education grows and changes. The other term I wanna remind us of is queer. That is um, a reclaimed term that some within the LGBTQIA community use as kind of like an umbrella term that is a way of celebrating instead of condemning not fitting into traditional orientations. So if you hear me throw out those words today, they're from that reclaimed and positive perspective. So that's our little moment of community education. So we're all uh, on the same page, we know what we're talking about when, when, when we refer to that. Um, I know that I normally start out with a story that, that's just kind of how my preaching has worked out, usually one that is funny or memorable. However, this week in the world, funny stories just don't cut it right now, at least not for starters. And I thought, you know, maybe poetry could help. 
because this last week has felt like the last two verses of the poem, What They Did Yesterday Afternoon by Warsenshire. And it reads, later that night, I held an atlas in my lap, ran my fingers across the whole world and whispered, where does it hurt? And it answered, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Stories, words seem to fail right now. Somehow poetry speaks. So I just felt like before we started, I just wanted to take to acknowledge whatever you're bringing, it might be exuberance and joy, you are welcome. But you might be also feeling weighed down and burdened. You're welcome. You, you're welcome here. Your feelings, your experience all make sense and they all belong and all of you is welcome here. Jesus welcomes you. The Spirit welcomes you. God welcomes you. In fact, all of God welcomes all of you. So I'm just really glad you're here. It's good to be together, even or especially when there are hurts that are everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. There were a lot of good verses available in the lectionary for today. You know, sometimes the Bible's like that, full of good verses. But when I was reading through the lectionary, there was just this one verse from all the different chapters and verses, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, that wouldn't leave me alone. So that's where we're going to center our time this morning. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed, but what we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. When he is revealed, we will be like him. Or there's other Bible versions that say, when we see him, we will be like him. You know, I used to hear that and think, one day, hopefully way long in the future, I will die. And because I was predestined or because I said the sinner's prayer, I would be in heaven. And then I would finally not be a wretched, disgusting worm of a sinner. So then I would be able to look upon the glory of Jesus without perishing. And then finally, there in heaven, I would be good and not wretched. But until then, meh. too bad, so sad, you stink. The Bible tells me so. That just feels so small and falls short of the gospel. I mean, it's not really useful for anything. And the Bible tells me that scripture is supposed to be useful for my life right now. Because good news is always good news. It sets people free. It's not, eh. So I sat with the verse and I just kept being curious. What could it mean? How does it help me to be more like Jesus, to embody the way of Jesus now, if I have to wait till I'm dead to see him? If I have to wait till I'm dead? What if this is loaded with poetic truth, allegorical truth? We've said before in this community to be a follower of Jesus is to believe in the way of Jesus. And Jesus showed us the way to really live. And that looks like living 
and letting things that get in the way of love die and being resurrected and reborn over and over again. We don't just celebrate a resurrection story, we are resurrection people. That poetic truth will change literally everything for us when we start to follow the way of Jesus every day in our lives. So when Jesus is revealed, we will be like him, for we'll see him as he is. And still I sat and I thought, and I thought, and I was curious. And I said, what has to die so I can see Jesus, so I can become grow in the direction of Jesusness. In the Orthodox Church, they call that theosis, the process of being transformed into Christ-likeness. And then, boom, it landed. And honestly, it landed more like a ton of bricks than a bag of feathers. But I just knew I will see Jesus when I stop thinking Jesus only me. we begin to see different ways Jesus shows up in others in ways we might not understand or experience but we really title today normal is overrated the idea of normal is is actually really bonkers when you stop to think about it somebody who's bigger, faster, wealthier, smarter, stronger, prettier, louder, whoever is the mightiest, sets the standard that everything else is measured against. Think of all the ways we've had that wrong throughout history. If you have privilege, if you have power, if you have influence, if you think you are hashtag blessed, the world will tell you that you are the standard that everything else is measured against. You are normal. You are right, and everyone else getting different results and not having a hashtag blessed experience is doing it wrong or worse yet, who they are is wrong. The idea of normal says, Jesus looks like me, hooray. And if it doesn't look like me, it's not normal. Therefore it's not Jesus and we cannot allow that. That's abnormal. I think Paul was trying like, really trying to expand the early church's idea of what normal was when he said in 1 Corinthians that there is one body, but it has many parts. But all its many parts make up one body, and it's the same with Christ. We're all baptized by one Holy Spirit, and so we are formed into one body. It didn't matter whether we were Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free people. We were all given the same spirit to drink. So the body is not made up of just one part. It has many parts. The body has many parts. And, and remember this, the Jews, the Gentiles, the slaves, the free, when they were baptized, they didn't stop being Jews, Gentile, slaves, free. But they needed to remember they were different and they were one. And I think that's what Paul is saying. What's normal in God's kingdom is to be different. And we need our differences held together by love to become whole. But instead, 
we have throughout history dismembered ourselves because we don't understand the function or experience of things that are different. Not normal scares us. Our egos, our false self is trying to protect us when it shuts out everything that looks different is bad. And I think we're living in a time where, where what is not normal is crying out in louder and more obvious ways that are harder to ignore. I think the spirit of God is inviting us to be radically remembered. The earth is groaning for it, is it not? The news this week is groaning. The earth is aching for the body of Christ to be remembered. We are a body made up of different parts. Let's believe it to our bones that this is true. Wouldn't it be silly to realize we have a foot, but never let it take us anywhere? To realize we have an eye, but never open it to see? To realize we have hands, but never use them to extend kindness and love. And yet history tells us we have a history of doing just that and the church is no exception. I think Paul wanted us to imagine that when a foot tells us that they are in fact a foot and this is what it's like to belong to the body as a foot, how ridiculous it would be if the body said, that is nothing like an eye. There is no way you are part of this body. And with gladness and in the name of God, we sever the foot and then can't seem to figure out why the hell we're limping. <laughs> when we limit Jesus, when we limit where he can live and move and have his being, we miss out on becoming more like Jesus in ways we couldn't imagine, ask, hope, or think. That's the thing about something we can't imagine, ask, hope, or think. We can't imagine it. It has to surprise us. Demanding understanding from what is different kills imagination, but Jesus is more. To get the more, we have to let go of the little pocket-sized Jesus we can control and bring out when convenient. This, this concept really hit home for me last fall. I'm doing uh, my master's through SSU. And for one of our classes, we were assigned a book called Queer Virtue by Elizabeth Edmond. She's a queer Episcopalian priest in the United States, I believe. And, and up to that point, for a number of years, I had seen myself as being quite progressive and a growing ally for the queer community. And I had been longing and advocating for an openly affirming stance in the church, but I didn't get something really important until I read this book. The full title of the book is Queer Virtue, What LGBTQ People Know About Life and Love and How It Can Revitalize Christianity. And I went burning through the book this weekend. I wanted to find a quote to share with you because I highlighted a lot, but each quote led me to another one and another one, and they all just seem to be necessary and connected. And so I'm just going to tell you how the book changed me and confronted me with seeing Jesus in the queer community in a way that is continuing to challenge me in the way I see Jesus just in anything that's different from me. I realized in reading that book that it, it's not enough to just 
say everybody can belong here together. You know, like this is God's table and God is the host and we are the guests. We don't own the table or control the table. But the really important shift for me was to realize I don't just need to recognize a queer person's innate and inherent space at the table of God. I actually need their queer perspective to expand my heart and my life to be more like Jesus. To understand a God who is neither male nor female and I can't get it any other way but to listen and learn. Queer is not less than or, or a, a garnish for the table of God. No marginalized or oppressed group should be reduced to a window dressing. Everybody has something to bring and we need it all to be whole. The beginning of that verse in 1 John says, we are the children of God right now. What we will become has not yet been revealed, but when Jesus is revealed, we will be like him. The Bible talks a lot about how the outside isn't what we need to worry about. It's what is inside that counts. That's a common Bible theme, right? But to see what's on the inside, you have to stay long enough to get past our impulse to dismiss anything that doesn't look or think like us. A resurrected Jesus often hides in plain sight. Remember Mary in the garden, the disciples on their way to Emmaus, or when they had breakfast with Jesus on the beach? Jesus looked different than they expected him to for whatever reason. And I think it wasn't until they could sense and see the way of Jesus, the calling card of the spirit, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, love, gentleness, that their eyes were opened and they could see him. Oh, there you are, Jesus. And I was thinking about all the different groups that have been denied belonging in the world and in the church and how we need to seek out those there you are moments. My hope is we can develop a curiosity to see the wake or, or the fruit of Jesus in unexpected places sooner. All people are created in the image of God. And I'm learning that when I stick to what's familiar and looks and acts like me or what feels normal, I can get a little grinchy, a little stingy. An eye cannot be a body all on its own. There's something unique of Jesus that can be grown in us by listening to and learning from the margins. So I let my curiosity run wild and ask God to help me expand my heart three sizes and imagine unique perspectives that marginalized group, groups might, might expand my faith. But before I share that with you, I just want to tack on the little opposite boundary to this. Letting someone's unique experience speak is really good and important and it's needed, but I am not calling for a narrowing that says the only thing a person can speak on is their uniqueness. That's, that's like letting women preach only on Mother's Day. We lose out if that's what we think it's about. But today I'm focusing on what is unique because often it's the packaging that gets rejected first. Okay, so back to our regularly scheduled program. Um, I began to think about how Indigenous people are known as the land defenders and how they have cultivated a connection to this earth that God created and loves that my historical traditions have devalued and dismissed. I need their perspective 
They show me something about God in the way of Jesus by how they live. I think about all the people who fall outside the category of able-bodied and how the world is made for normal and not for disability or neurodivergence. What can we learn from them? Maybe how to be defined by your being instead of by your doing. I mean, that's really Jesus-y. We need them. How is Jesus being revealed in ways that I might miss if I'm only looking for normal? Normal is overrated. In fact, it's just a lie. There's no such thing as normal. And then this week, especially, I think of the Black, Latinx, and people of color who have somehow developed a faith and a trust in Jesus, despite being abused, harmed, hunted down, and killed, often in the name of a God who looks nothing like Jesus. What blindness in me might their unique existence and experience heal? We could go on. Where is Jesus hiding in plain sight? Where might I be invited to empty myself of the power of normal to encounter Jesus in a radical new way? So I was getting all excited about this. Like this is really good news that there's always more, more, more of Jesus to be found. Jesus never runs out. He's not pizza, right? I can learn. I can grow. Maybe if I'm really lucky, people will also experience Jesus in me too. I mean, that'd be cool. And I was thinking, who wouldn't want this? I mean, surely I haven't discovered something amazing. This must be a truth as old as time. Why would we resist it? And then, boom, another ton of bricks on my lap. When we see Jesus, we will be like him. When I venture into the margins and see the suffering, I will be like Jesus and my heart will be broken like Jesus' heart is broken. Normal lets me avoid a lot of suffering and pain. Maybe that gets in the way. To see Jesus and to become like Jesus is to practice co-suffering love that takes up its cross and speaks out against injustice and harm, even if it costs us everything that normal provided for us. Who wants that? I do. Because I know now we were made for freedom. And like we were reminded a few weeks ago, none of us is free until all of us are free. So what gets in the way of co-suffering love? I think sometimes we mistake the holy comforter for one who makes us comfortable. The life of Jesus demonstrated this pretty clearly. Following Jesus is not comfortable. It speaks truth to power. It sees injustice and names it and disrupts it and calls it because injustice harms everyone and comfort is a massive roadblock to creating justice. Dr. Martin Luther King in his letter from a Birmingham jail spoke at great length of his heartbreak of the white moderate Christians who said on one hand, I love your cause, I believe in your equality, but just a little more time, wait a bit longer, not quite yet, not this way, wait, wait, not today. 
Every day we wait in the name of comfort and readiness is a day we are asking the oppressed to bear the weight of injustice alone. Our comfort comes at a cost to others. And we have the statistics to prove it. People die waiting for us to get comfortable first. Forgive us, God. We didn't know what we were doing. Spiritual activist and mystic disruptor, Rachel Ricketts said this, if you're committed to comfort, you cannot be committed to justice. Withstanding our discomfort requires understanding that discomfort is necessary and a constant part of the work. Our goal is not to feel comfortable because we won't. It's better to tolerate the discomfort that inherently arises. When I see Jesus, I will be like him. Which brings me to another poem. Well, not a poem so much as maybe an Instagram meme. So, you know, like modern poetry. But this is from uh, Latina theologian, Kate Armists. They say, be more like Jesus. I say, okay, drinks wine, calls people hypocrites, upsets men in power. And they say, no, not like that, me. Shrugs. I have another theory on what that not like that feeling could be called. It's an ego resistance to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I know I internalized a message growing up in the church that said any inner resistance was the Holy Spirit warning me of a slippery slope. But more often than not, I see now that it was my ego reacting to something that didn't feel normal. Now I see that feeling as an invitation to dismantle inner resistance and, and walk into an expansion with the love of God. It kind of, it feels like the difference between nervousness and excitement for elite athletes or stage performers. I obviously speak from the latter experience and not the former, but I'm told it's the same. <laughs> we get a twinge in our gut that says, don't do it, you'll perish if you do. And those that perform, whether sportsing or artsing regularly, have learned to reorient their interpretation of that feeling. It's not a sign of nervousness that says stop. It's a feeling of excitement, that it's an invitation into the unknown, into doing something that will bring life and joy. And in the case of seeing Jesus and being like Jesus, that that feeling might just be an invitation to reorient the world towards more love. Step out of the boat and into the water, folks. A lot of not like that moments have changed the world when people refuse to shrink back, right? I believe that we want to be people that join with the uncomfortable ways of Jesus and shrug our shoulders when we hear, not like that. Not like that. Oh, contraire. Flip tables? Yes, like that. Touch lepers? Yes, like that. Include women? Yes, like that. Learn from the disenfranchised? Yes, like that. Believe the pain of the oppressed? Yes, like that. Welcome our queer siblings in Christ? Yes, like that. Invite the disinvited to the feast? Yes, 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 like that. And here is the truth about all of us together here on Zoom in this community of faith. 
I know many of you and I like the looks of all of you and I believe in you because I know that Jesus believes in us. So I believe in us and I've seen you rise up and look discomfort, pain and tragedy in the face and say together, we will not be moved. We will not be afraid and we will find a way forward. Love will, will win and oppression does not get one more day. So that's what gives me hope. And the truth is the table is not yet full. There is room for more. We need one another to reveal Jesus to one another and to a world that is longing to know what love looks like. They will know us by our love. We all are children of God right now, but there is more that will be revealed by our willingness to suffer with those who are suffering, by our insistence that we take up our cross and speak truth to power that oppresses and harms and mars the image of God in what doesn't pass for normal. My honest hope is that we will believe that Jesus is way better than normal. Let's see Jesus. Let's show Jesus. Let's be Jesus. Jesus is better than normal. And when we see him, we will be like him. And that is very good news. Amen. <laughs>